Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are joined by the legendary tattoo artist Dan Smith. You can give him a follow at Dan Smith. His work on LA Inc. and a number of other projects, both in the rock and roll scene and the tattooing scene and the LAFC scene, are certainly worth a listen. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Caleb Turner from KSL.com Sports, getting us all ready for RSL. My name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me, as always, Christian Aparicio and Christopher Sines. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Good evening, good evening. Good episode, last episode, guys. Sorry I missed it. Little man was under the weather, but I'm happy to be back. Not happy about current run of form, but we'll talk about that in a few here. Sour grapes, man. Sour grapes. Drive all the way up to San Jose, see him lose. Expecting to see a really, really fun, entertaining match. I was telling everybody, I was like, hey, ESPN, LAFC versus Austin FC. Watch it, watch it, watch it. I'm reeling. I'm still upset. I'm still very upset. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, Full transparency, folks. We are currently recording on Tuesday night. Uh, We are going to pop back in tomorrow night after the Houston Dynamo game to give you our thoughts on that. So that should come at the end of this segment. Uh, We'll go ahead and edit that piece in so you can catch us. But for right now, we are Tuesday night and we'd like to run through the news that has transpired since our last show in typical LAFC fashion. We waited a whole week to record an episode, took a week off because we're like, look, There's just too much stuff about to happen with this roster. We can't get a pot out. We got to wait for the shoe to drop. We waited a week. Nothing happened. We said to heck with it. We recorded an episode. And what did LAFC do the next day? Well, they made three massive roster moves. So we've already kind of touched on our thoughts about these moves as we saw them coming. But now that they are actual, factual reality, let's go ahead and dive into it, guys. So first and foremost, adios, Raito. He is gone. Sold to Club America for what we hear is $6 million and a 20% ownership fee of his future rights so that means lafc lost about five and a half million dollars and raito would have to be sold in the future for north of 22 million dollars in order for lafc to even recoup the funds they originally invested in raito someone who was lauded by both players and coach as being one of the best guys in the clubhouse then he comes out puts his foot in his mouth, says some very, very poorly chosen words, and ultimately finds himself out the door. So guys, what do you think about all the drama, the conversations, the benching that finally led up to the Raito departure? Has this had an impact on the team? Can we point some of the blame at these two losses in the direction of Raito and his agent and the moves they seem to have forced LAFC to make? Or is this just a blip in the season and it's otherwise been a great season still sitting top of the table supporter shield and we shouldn't worry about Raito's impact on it all I think both those things you mentioned can be true I think the the, the season has been great for sure results wise I do think that Raito for whatever reason wasn't comfortable here anymore or wanted to take the opportunity to go to one of the top clubs in Mexico and see if a change of venue would help him in his form in a world cup year where he's not necessarily been performing since he's gotten here to try to make a case for himself I just think I'm okay with him leaving. It's unfortunate that we're losing money for the ownership group and for the fans here not getting the best out of him. Bob couldn't do it. Steve couldn't do it. If he was unhappy here, I also don't want someone that is thinking about moving in the clubhouse, in the bench, 
kind of making it known and then everyone's looking at him or he's bringing down people's kind of perception or mood uh, it's going to affect the, the games and it, it could have affected maybe the, the, the recent run of form him not participating and maybe bringing a weird kind of vibe and not being able to, to play i'm okay with leaving i think it's a little mixed you know there's a lot of people that don't feel like brian rodriguez panned out and was worth the amount of headache and heartache that he had given us early on in his career and that the amount of effort that we saw from him it just didn't pan out I do think that Brian was an exciting player to watch. I do think that, you know, in terms of some of the memories that stand out with Brian Rodriguez, you know, when he would score and he would have some of those very, very like athletic, high difficulty goals, you know, the one in mind that stands out is the the goal against the Galaxy at the Bank of California Stadium. Uh, you know, those were those were some of the the most fun memories to have. And he was a very skilled player. You know, I had a lot of high hopes for him and you know, definitely a little disappointed with how things played out. I was hoping that this player would go on to make LAFC a, a significant profit. And unfortunately, that's just the downside of business on, on from time to time. But I definitely don't look at him as like a um, Andre Horta or a player that that didn't provide us anything. I think if if anything at all, it's it, he was someone that that did give the club something, and he had spent a significant amount of time with us. And so I, I don't I don't look back and think that it was a total waste. But at the same time, too, you know, if 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 he wanted to move on, maybe he would find better opportunity in the Liga Mekis. Yeah, his departure certainly takes with it a certain amount of skill, a certain amount of pace that he showed a frustrating look. I mean, his desire to take on every player was rarely ever successful. You know, you look at his you know, fantastic golasso versus the galaxy. I mean, that's him taking on three or four players and it finally worked, you know, but, but for that one time that it worked, there were so many other times in which his take-ons were woefully unsuccessful. Right. Um, And his ability to be a distributor. I mean, he racked up assists for this team. He was great getting down that wing pacey and putting balls in something that, you know, let's be honest in these past couple losses, you know, the, the speed up top there has been an issue for us and that's something he provided. So, you know, in this interim area with Raito out, but we still don't have a Denny Buanga or a Christian Teo in the team yet. I, I think we're all kind of in this little bit of limbo where we're going to miss him and we're going to miss his skill set. I think what's really going to make this in 2020 hindsight look like a good or a bad deal is really the performance of who replaces him. And if Denny Buanga and Christian Teo show up and just tear it up, then it's a great move for LAFC. But Raito was the upgrade over Horta. I'm really hoping these guys are an upgrade over Raito and that third DP slot continues to escalate in its effectiveness for this club, but only time will tell. Speaking of moves, we have a departure that has certainly had a mixed response from many people within the LAFC community. That is the departure of one Mamadou Mbake Ball. He has gone to Villarreal on loan. That loan will run through June of 2023. Now it's just a loan. So the club retains the right to call him back at any point in time should injury or necessity dictate that the club needs him back. Potentially, this could be something that they choose to cancel his loan and bring him back for next season. Could be one of those things that at the end of his loan spell, he gets sold on. He has been a bright, bright young player, arguably one of the best young players in all of Major League Soccer. He was pivotal 
in some of LAFC's early success this season. But with the arrival of Eddie Segura back from injury, the arrival of Giorgio Chiellini as a signing, it just looked like minutes were going to be few and far between for him. And that's exactly how it played out. He was not getting reps with LAFC. So they've sent him off somewhere where he's going to get reps. So your thoughts, gentlemen, on the loan of Mamadou Fall to Belera. I mean, I'm happy for him for the club, right? He is not going to get minutes, like you said. There's four center backs essentially ahead of him at this point in time. I think he got some minutes because of the amount of matches in August, but I don't think he used first, second, third, or fourth choice at this point. Him getting him exposure, going to La Liga, which is one of the top five leagues in the world, to a team that's usually fighting for a Champions League spot, it's going to be good exposure, a good way to test himself, a good way for LAFC to continue to have relationships in Europe. So I think it's a it's a win-win for the club, win-win for him. And I hope he can find more playing time there than he was getting here. Tough thing about this year for LAFC is all chips in the middle and developing him is not a priority versus getting supporter shield in an MLS cup. What I have a question is, is, you know, nobody is going to sit here and say that the La Liga is a lesser talented league than the MLS. So if we have a player like Mamadou Fall, who was having a hard time breaking through the starting 11 at LAFC, Villarreal looking to see what he has. And I, I, I think that this is pretty much LAFC loaning him out to Villarreal. We don't expect him to really get much playing time at Villarreal either, but this is just Villarreal taking him and saying, hey, do we want to buy him? You know, this is, hey, we're going to have him come and practice with us you know, train with our first team and we're going to see if we want to buy him and develop him and keep him for the long term. That's an interesting take on it. He did train with Villarreal's academy for a while prior to coming to LAFC. So perhaps this is a player that, you know, they had in their plans and then financially it just didn't work out to keep him or they thought it was the best thing for the player to send him on. And, you know, now they're trying to bring him back because something they saw early on means they want to buy him down the road. Or maybe this is just LAFC saying, hey, look, you're familiar with this guy. We need to get him reps. We need to get him trained up to come back and join us later on down the road. And this is LAFC looking at their future plans and bringing him back at some point. So who knows? Time will tell. It's a short loan. We're looking at, what, about 10 months now that that loan's going to take place. So come June of next year, we're going to have a lot of talk about how Mamadou Fall has performed. And for the first time, I have a reason to watch Villarreal. I have never really been much of a fan of, of that league, at least uh, haven't been able to follow that much. And, and now we have a reason to follow it, right? Like It's the same reason uh, we're following the Turkish league now, and we've never followed a Turkish league in the past, many of us, right? So I think as an LAFC fan, it's just fun to have some emotional investment in what's going on at Villarreal that for many of us, we might not have had prior. All right, guys, so the other big, big shoe to drop this past week, and we touched on it briefly on the last episode, was the signing of Christian Tejo. Now, Christian, you're going to have to help me out on this one, brother. Am I saying the name right? Because I've heard Tejo, I've heard Tello, I've heard Tejo, and I'm so confused. What is the right way to say his name? Please inform me. It is Tejo. I mean, unless you're talking to an Argentinian or Uruguayan, they'll say Tejo, but it is Tejo. All right. All right. So I think on the last show, I got it completely wrong. Or if you're British, uh, he's Tello, right? I was uh, talking to my brother-in-law who is born and raised in Spain, but I think his accent is a little different because he was calling him Tejo. And so I thought I was doing it right, but it sounds like I I screwed it up on the whole last episode. I'm very sorry. I apologize to all of you and children. uh, That's an interesting take because what what, what part of Spain is he from? Also, like is in Catalonia or Castilian, like it it could be different also. So Uh, uh, Basque, Basque country. Oh, that's even, that's even not even related to Latin, right? They have their own thing. 
So I'm not, I'm not even hundred percent sure. I, I tried to get it right, but I failed you, but I just want to know that we're here for you. Corrections and retractions. We were going to get it right. So Teo, Cristian Teo, we're going to try and nail it. We're going to try and do it right. I hate it, especially in the broadcasting world. I hate it when I get a player's name wrong. It's, it's really a frustrating thing. So something we're really working on, but anyway, last Friday, the club announced that they had signed him as a free agent forward, obviously window being closed. The only people we can sign and bring in are free agents. Isco, uh, still available. Still got a DP slot open. Need that midfield help. Just saying. Getting ahead of myself. But um, he is going to occupy an international roster slot, the one vacated by Rayito. And fingers crossed, he gets his visa issues worked out. Um, It sounds like he's already come to the United States previously, which should really help his visa issue be expedited. If you listen to the last episode of Max and Vince podcast, they said that Denny Buanga's issue is that he had never been to the United States before, and that is making his visa take much longer to come through. But as Teo has already been here before as a traveling player, that he might be able to get his visa expedited a little bit quicker. John Thorrington described him as a dangerous attacker and a great fit to what we are building at LAFC. We know he spent the last five years with Real Betis. He spent time with Barcelona, Porto, Fiorentina, and of course, Real Betis as well, too. We're talking about a guy who's played 21 Champions League matches, 17 Europa matches. Heck, he even played as an Olympian with that 2012 Spain national team, which obviously was at the tail end of Spain's historic run there. So this is a player with a lot of pedigree. But gentlemen, what are your immediate reactions to the final news that Teo is black and gold? Exciting. According to the roster, I know that in the initial announcement that came out from the PR there was nothing specifically saying that he was taking a designated player role. However, we now have all three designated player roles filled again with this club. So that's exciting. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if he is the DP level. Like, I think there's been some machinations. Correct so, if I'm wrong, Jonathan. Tom yeah. Bogert has reported what we, uh, I believe, by the way, shoulder to shoulder, first to break the news that Teo was not a designated player. Uh, we picked that up in the press release moments after it came out and put that out there. So as of right now, I believe Carlos Vela and Denny Bowanga are the only designated players on this team. On paper, it looks like we still have a designated player slot open, which guarantees us the roster release from the U23 initiative. I do not believe we have a third DP, and Teo has not been announced as a DP. Do you have something different on this, Chris? On the official LAFC.com website, Teo is listed as a designated player. So Teo, Vela, and Bowanga are three designated players listed on the website. So Tommy Scoops, Tom Bogert was wrong. Wow, and so were we. But Tom Bogert was wrong. Wow. All right. Well, that's good to know because the press release for Denny Bowanga said that he was signed as a designated player. The press release for Teo did not say anything about him being signed as a designated player. So that is that is breaking news. Right here. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Continue on your thoughts, please. I guess until we uh, until we get an official thing, but I think that the LAFC website is probably a fairly good. I don't know. That's pretty official. <laughs> but if let's just go with the narrative that it is designated players, uh, we have three again, and I'm happy to have that because it's it is definitely a benefit in this league to have designated players and. We had been playing with two all season long, so we finally have three again. And uh, I just hope that Bowanga and Teo are 
able to integrate themselves into the club within time to help us push for the postseason this season. That's my biggest hope. I think that that's a little bit of a tall order, but uh, I would like to believe that that will be the case. I'm, ha- I'm happy about the addition. Uh, obviously, he has a pedigree in, in Europe. He's played in several leagues and several big matches and been part of a, an important national team. I'm not easy to break into a lot of these teams, and he's been um, a well-known commodity, especially at Betis. I think, I forget what I saw online that someone said, I may have been Reddit, where it's like, he looks like Rayita would look like at 31. Um, and the 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 physical uh, the like facial structure is similar. I think he's a little more stocky, which means uh, he's more developed. And uh, if he can be what we envisioned Raito would be, or if Denny Buanga could bring that, I think that's that's all we need. The issue, I think, in some of the matches recently uh, has been not having speed in behind when um, when Opoku's not in, right? So if we're going to make some of these designated players or important players be the starters, instead of uh, Opoku, then they have to bring that element into the match because without that, there isn't a balance or a threat to go in behind and teams can bunker down in crowded, crowded spaces. So uh, he can do that. Uh, um, I I was listening to Football Americas earlier and they were mentioning that, that he uh, kept Linus basically out of, the, out of the team at Betis. And he was supposed to be one of the prospects for the Mexico national team to, to go and break into Betis and then be the next kind of a winger to break the scene for the national team in Mexico. So um, that to me tells me, all right, that he has speed. Um, he has the work ethic to come back and help defensively, which some of our wingers are not doing all the time. So I think him and Denny Moanga can do that. The issue is, like you said, the visa stuff. So that that getting that completed, them integrated as soon as possible because we're running out of time in the season to to kind of have this the experiments of them integrating themselves before it becomes a do or die match in the playoffs. Yeah, look, and integrating a player into the squad during the postseason is not ideal. They need to have a chance to make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, right? Not. It's, it's a difficult time of year to ask a player to do that. Uh, we know that both of these players are, I believe, now here in the United States. They may not be training with the full first team just yet, but they are training in the presence of LAFC personnel. So it certainly seems like given where they were at in their seasons, they should certainly be further along than either Bale or Kalini were at the time they arrived. So I would imagine from the time their visa clears till the time we get to actually see some minutes from them shouldn't be a whole lot of time because they should be in mid-season form. So hopefully we're talking about players that can come in for some garbage minutes at the end of matches we've already put away and we can start to build and see some chemistry and dynamic from them. But Christian, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about a clogged up midfield and an inability to play through it certainly describes everything I witnessed in LAFC's horrific 4-1 loss to Austin FC. Now, before we dive into the dumpster fire that was the game itself, I want to talk about a different dumpster fire, and this is the Austin FC front office. You know, for a club that's new to this league that came in saying that they were going to be part of a progressive building of football culture within the United States, I find the actions that they've taken against LAFC and our fans shameful. And I know that they're riding a lot of consecutive sellout streaks, and they're really looking to do whatever they can do to sell more tickets to their fans and try and bring more people in to an experience and a culture that they're trying to build. 
but cutting the LAFC away support tickets by 60%, 60% less than they promised at the beginning of the season and 60% less than LAFC granted them when their fans came out here is reprehensible. And that kind of decision-making is anti-culture. And I know it is not what Los Verde and the Austin FC supporters want for away fans that are visiting. It is not what the fans in Austin want, but the front office trying to make more money on those tickets by selling them at full price to Austin fans, as opposed to the discounted price to LAFC supporters really was a frustrating thing. And to see that the LAFC fans there got three rows That is it, which is one of the smallest away section granted for the traveling 3252 supporters that, you know, often look, we we travel well, we come out to support our team, especially in a big game like this versus Austin. And to say that no flags may be allowed to be brought into the stadium after we allowed Austin to bring over a dozen flags into the bank. To say that no drum is allowed in the away supporters section because the fans around it don't like hearing a drum. Get out of here. That is anti-culture, right? And it's reprehensible, this kind of behavior in this day and age for a brand new club with no history to be putting these kind of draconian restrictions down. And on top of that, the in-game experience from the fans was incredibly poor. Apparently, the security that were there, it was their first week on the job. They were terrible in how they responded to and treated to fans. And there was actually a medical emergency inside the 3252. On behalf of all of us at Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, we'd like to send our sincerest, best, and well wishes to that fan who had a medical emergency. But we're hearing that the response time from Austin was painstakingly slow. And all of these things really led to all of those supporters saying that this was one of the worst away day experiences that they have had as fans. And for Austin FC to be this brand new sparkly club that's trying to do everything right, you have really, really destroyed the experience and ultimately the culture and the atmosphere of the game for profit and poorly, poorly executed your own in-stadium safety and medical response procedures to a point where I feel the need to call it out as, as the 3252 member on this podcast that uh, very, very disappointed in the things I've seen from the Austin front office. And I really hope that the independent supporters council and the league as a whole takes a look at some of these things and fix it for next season, because this stuff is just not cool. All right. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Sorry. I have to have one an episode where I rant for a minute here, but uh, let's go ahead and get into the starting 11. We have, the biggest bombshell of news to drop in the week outside of signings was that none other than Welsh international Gareth Bale was going to be in the starting 11. And of course, Ilya Sanchez out of the starting 11 due to red card. Two decisions that ultimately ended up spelling disaster for LAFC. So before we get into what happened and who scored what and when, gentlemen, what did you think about Bale's start? Were you excited to see him in the start? And what did you think of his performance? I was uh, just waiting to see what happened. To be honest, I, I, I'm not going to say I was excited about it, but um, I I didn't know what to make of it. Obviously, we know what happened. I was more concerned about the midfield, and we'll touch on that in, in a bit here. I think that it was needed. A lot of people had wanted to see Gareth Bale make a start, see what he could do, and unfortunately, he looked absent on the pitch. I I think a lot of people are super disappointed and there was a lot of people that would have expected Gareth Bale to be able to come in and seamlessly integrate himself into our formation and our system and be able to just significantly improve our side. And that's 
not necessarily the case. Him coming off of the bench has seemed to work well for the few times that he has has, has made his appearances at, uh, as a sub. But, you know, I'm not exactly sure what caused his lack of presence in the match. You know, that's really more of something maybe, Christian, you can uh, shed light on. But it just seemed like he was not even on the pitch for much of that match. Yeah, I think deploying him out left was a poor choice, but uh, it's hard to really fault the forwards too much in this match. Although I do have issues with Arango. I really felt like he had more opportunities than he was able to find the back of the net. He does get, you know, a great goal on the scramble from the corner, but uh, he had some breakaways where he really should have put a better product out there. And, you know, he missed a couple that I really thought he had a chance to put away and make this score not quite as laughable as it ended up being. But the midfield is certainly the talking point in this match. Latif Blessing had an absolutely atrocious game once again in the midfield. Latif, we love you, man. We know you have the ability to play midfield much, much better than what we've seen over the course of these last couple games. And I know for four years for this club, you have proven the ability that you have in those legs, but we really have not seen much of it this year. And uh, he certainly described some mental battles and some issues off the field. And I really hope the club and the community and he as a player can do what it takes to get his head back in the game because he made some decisions in the course of this game that were really frustrating that ultimately ended up leading to goals being given up. But if I'm going to point a finger at anyone in this match, I mean, obviously the midfield was broken, but Mario, my goodness, I got to say there are two goals Austin scored that I have to 100% put on Mario. And frankly, the other two goals, I'm probably putting about 50% on Mario. Uh, And that to me adds up to about three goals that I can lay at his feet in the course of this game. And he's a player that has had some outstanding moments for LAFC this season. But in this game, I have to be honest, he just laid an egg. You know, he was the one who ultimately missed his assignment there in the 32nd minute and forced Segura to come over and make a dumb foul. I don't think Segura necessarily needed to make the foul there. Very lucky to avoid getting a red card as high up as that elbow was, which led to that original Fagundes free kick, which I mean... That was a stunner. I mean, it's moments like that. You got to just step back and tip your cap and say, what a strike is that that first goal for Austin was an absolute goal of the week. Beauty, something that we here in LAFC have really not seen a whole lot of this season set piece goals like that. Despite the attacking prowess that we have, I wish we had some of those moments ourselves this season where we're able to pick out a top corner like that. But tip your cap to Fagundes. That was that was really quite a moment. And then we get to a moment in the 39th minute where I was extremely frustrated with pro ref. So Mario makes a foul on a Rudy, which I'm going to go ahead and say is a foul. It looked like it was harsh contact to me. It looked like it was excessive. It looked like the player was already out of bounds. But regardless of whether it was called a foul or not, a Rudy certainly felt like it was a foul. And as Mario is taking the throw in back out to the pitch, a Rudy comes over and stomps on his foot. It starts a fracas. Max Capo has to come out and get himself his obligatory yellow anytime there's a little John back and forth between players. And the whole thing erupted into some very dark scenes out there on the pitch. But I was astonished, astonished that he did not get himself a red card for that behavior. If this were the World Cup, if this were the EPL, and you see a player in retribution 
walk over to someone throwing a ball in and stamp on their foot, that is absolutely a red card in every World Cup game that has ever been played or will be played. That is absolutely a red card 99% of the time in the VAR era of the EPL. And somehow in this league, with the woeful implementation of VAR and what I felt was some rather poor refereeing throughout the course of this game to keep it under control, that was somehow not a red card. And I'm curious, Christian, Chris, if you feel the same way. Have you ever seen a player retaliate like that in that manner, walking up to a player, throwing in the ball and stamping on his foot after he charged 10 or 15 feet over to the player in order to do it and not get himself a red card? I felt it was the most pivotal moment in the match. I agreed with the calls, to be honest with you. I didn't think it was a foul and I didn't think it was a red card, maybe a yellow. But to be honest with you, I think this is this is. I agree with you there's a pivotal moment because I think this is where Murillo was trying to get in their head and lost his head instead. I think Austin came out to kind of hit us in the mouth. They were going in hard. There were several fouls that they had. First, so he was trying to kind of stand up for that with that shoulder-to-shoulder kind of tackle that pushed Uruti off to the side. I think he could have left it there. He kind of faked a little bit of the injury a little bit too much. I think the yellow was, was enough to be honest with you, because I, I don't see the stomp. I don't see the intent. I don't see the intensity. That's my opinion. This this is to me like this this kind of non-call is what stops all these rolling around kind of things because it was not that severe in my opinion. So I was fine with the outcome. The dust up, you know, it's always going to happen when something like that happens between the two teams. I thought it was managed fine. Like I'd rather have the teams have 11 versus 11. I, I Look, how many times in a game have you seen a player get fouled and he gives a light little kick backwards towards the other player that barely touches him, but it's retaliation and retaliation is a red. I cannot tell you how many EPL games, how many World Cup games I have watched. I mean, David Beckham has probably the most famous red card in England's history for doing less contact on the player than what we saw the contact on Mario. Now, does Mario sell it in a way that makes a ref not want to call it? Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. It was Honestly, LAFC's reactions to fouls this year, I think, have really hurt us from an officiating standpoint and not helped us. His sale of it was over the top, and there was a way he could have done it much better. But retaliation is supposed to be a red. That's the letter of the law. I think I think intensity or what actually happens is has to do with it too. Like the things that you're mentioning, I should I don't I don't think should have been red. It's like I think that's what's happening to the game. That it's it's a little bit too touchy feely sometimes. So um, anyway, that's my opinion. I think a lot of this game was lost in these duels, right? They wanted it more. They were hungrier for it. That was one of the times that Murillo showed in that instance we wanted it more. But I think it kind of made us lose a little more control and got focused on retaliation versus going into each tackle hard like they were going. So and I have other opinions on the midfield and and the forwards. I think there's a lot of fault. To, to happen. I do agree with you, uh, Jonathan, that Murillo had one of the worst games he's had all season and uh, was a, a reason for a lot of the goals or what led to goals. Yeah, look, I don't know, man. You know, look, as an Arsenal fan, I, I can say that if that was Granite Xhaka who had that that stomp, he would have been given a seven-game ban, right? I, I just don't feel like the but, game was fair. But Xhaka would have done it with feeling. He would have actually stopped. Nobody likes oh, Granite Xhaka. Yeah, yeah. Like, Urruti... Well, Rudy didn't stop like the way he would, you know? It's I'm true. just saying it, it was a retaliatory stomp, one in which he had to charge 10 or 15 feet to get to the player to even do by letter of the law. You read the rules. 
that's a red card. It's a red card. Then that's it's like a blurry line. Like, what about Crepo coming all the way and just coming and like chest bumping him? No, I mean Crepo didn't even touch him, right? I mean, first of all, he just walked over with his hands behind his back and but he was... ran like 40 yards. Yeah, and he got a yellow, which is yeah. appropriate, I think, for exactly. that. He didn't stamp on someone's foot in retaliation, well, which, which by... I believe what Crepo did was yellow card worthy. But True. what Rudy I, did by, was by a red Kripo, card. By Kripo walking over, though, didn't he bump into your Rudy or was it Fagundis maybe? And then, like, he slipped on the cement and stuff like that. It was the whole thing. Well, that was actually, no, that was actually an Austin player that came in and ran into the whole crowd of people that ended up knocking him over. And believe me, I've gone back and watched this. Video yeah, like no, it's, it's fine. That's that's how I felt, especially when I watched it. I haven't rewatched it many, as many times. Maybe I didn't get as angry as you did. When I wa- watched it live, I'm like, all right, cool. Call the, call the yellows. Let's move on. And I didn't think the rest of the game was going to go as it did, but that's how I went. Well, speaking of the rest of the game, how it went is said Arudi came out of halftime and he was still pretty fired up. Whatever got in his blood certainly connected with him. And uh, another couple defensive lapses from LAFC, 47th minute Arudi, 51st minute Arudi, 59th minute Driussi, and it's game over. It's already 4-0 at this point. Uh, we have now been embarrassed. Uh, all this talk of LAFC being this dominant super club and all these wonderful superlatives that have been thrown out around this team have now gone completely to waste because we have absolutely been laughed off the field. And yes, there was a marginal increase in effort. I think when Opoku came on, we really saw a different team, a team that had some pace to it, something that we were woefully missing up top that helped us get around our defensive midfield issues by being able to pass through it. It did ultimately lead to an Arongo goal. He probably should have had a couple more. He had a one-on-one with the keeper. He fluffed off the post. There were a couple other good opportunities for him. And frankly, Bale had some opportunities in this game as well, too, that I expect a player of his caliber to put a better shot off on. I mean, his two shots that he took both were well wide of the net, not what we would expect from Gareth Bale. There was just so many things that went wrong for LAFC. And, you know, I can certainly be frustrated at one instance of pro refereeing, but there were plenty of other instances in this game in which LAFC were just plain bad. And players that we expect big things from throughout the course of the rest of the season, they laid an egg. Uh, It was not a fun match to watch. It was a very, very frustrating ultimate finish to it. And, you know, I do think when Kalini came in, the defense looked significantly better. I think when Upoku came in, the offense looked significantly better. And for me, going forward, those two guys have to be starters right now until they prove otherwise. But any final thoughts on this match before we wrap it up, boys? Yeah, so I think the biggest issue in this match was getting the players wrong. Obviously, Bale, in hindsight, was the wrong choice, but I would have thought he was the wrong choice before. I know it's a marquee game, ESPN, first match of the weekend for MLS. And one versus two, but I don't think he's ready to give us 45, 60 minutes an intense way where he's doing defensive work and getting in and behind. I think he is he plays a lot like Bella, where he kind of paces himself and can be a game breaker and has a vision as a shot. So I think we have one of those already in the front line. Either him or Vela comes in towards the tail end when they're exhausted chasing Arango and Opoku around, or if it's Teo or Denny Buanga later. Because especially when we're missing Ilya, who has the vision, the passing uh, ability to break that kind of congested midfield, not having Opoku being able to help defensively or pressuring, I think from his energy, Arango usually picks it up and he does it himself, and occasionally Vela helps, right? So I think 
we got all that wrong. They were up for the game. They went and won almost every 50-50 ball. And then we had laughable mistakes by our defense. So I think all that is to say that this current run of form, the fulcrum, in my opinion, is Ilya, who can get us from the defense to offense really quickly in transition or in possession. We didn't have that. And then I think Acosta helps him out in terms of rounding out and helping out the right and left back. And then uh, that frees up Cifuentes. Those three, if any of those three cogs now we've experienced in big matches aren't doing well, then this is what happens. Because it isn't the first time we play against a team that clogs up the middle. But when we have that trio and some defensive help from the forwards, we can you know break any team open in the in blink of an eye. So that's that's my ultimate opinion of what happened with uh, this most current match and also what happened in, in San Jose. In San Jose, we had an experimental team without Ilya, and then he got himself a red card, and uh, we know what happened there. Ilya has not played in four matches. We've lost all four of those matches. We see what happens when he even doesn't start a game and, and comes in late. We lost that match as well, too. This team it seems really bizarrely dependent upon Ilya Sanchez. We've often talked about depth in the midfield being an issue for this team, and we really thought Mendez coming in was going to secure some of that up, but it, it certainly hasn't proven that way. I haven't seen anything from him to say that he can step in and fill in for Ilya Sanchez, and I'm worried about midfield depth going forward, and I think you touched on it as well, too. I'm, I'm worried about Bale and Vela playing at the same time, doing too many of the similar things, and just not having someone else with enough pace in order to break lines. It just doesn't seem like in the current system Vela and Bale can play together that one needs to sub in for the other Chris what are your final thoughts here I'm glad that LAC is um, having some of its adversity because you know you can't be dominant all season long there's never been a team that has just been dominant all season long there's the highs and the lows and the the lulls as it were so I'm hoping that LAFC works through all of this this uh, current time of transition. You know, seven players have left this club over the over this summer transfer window. Five new players have come in. So hopefully we work it out in the month of September and then we are ready and firing on all cylinders in the month of October going forward. Yeah. Look, LAFC are just not playing their hand versus Austin anticipating that they're going to see them in the playoffs. They let this one slide. Didn't want to show them what they got so that they can hold that off for the playoffs. Totally with you there. All right, let's go ahead and move on and let's talk about our match versus Houston dynamo. All right, fellas. So this game is now over. Let's talk about it. What we have uh, to, do we I really mean, have to talk about this game? I mean, we don't we don't have to, but we should. We have to take it in Las Buenas y Las Malas, bro. And right now it is a mala. I mean, it's there's a lot about this game that's frustrating. At the end of the day, you can't put this one on pro ref as frustrated as I am with the two handball calls in this game, but LAFC have got to finish one of the 20 something chances that they had in front of net. I mean, it just, it's inexcusable for players with this much talent in their locker to not be able to put a ball to the side of a keeper or on frame. I mean, it just, it was atrocious. The number of opportunities we had that were were tap-ins, tap-ins that we missed in this game. It it just, it blows my mind. I, I am completely perplexed how one call at the top of the box 
becomes a penalty when I, I wasn't sure that it was a handball and I certainly wasn't sure it was inside the box, but that was a clear, they looked at it for two seconds becomes a penalty. And then you have another one that's clearly inside the box, clearly hits the ball off his hand and it doesn't even get looked at. Like yeah. I just twice. I, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. I, I, one thing I'll say is uh, this is not on tactics or uh, choosing personnel. I think this is up to the players. They got to finish your chances. Just like you said. So does the team look cohesive? Not yet. I think uh, I do feel more optimistic with Denny Boanga, his debut. I think he, I don't know, he gives me more of a positive feeling in terms of how he's going to contribute his willingness um, more than Raito and more stable. So I'm happy about that. That was semi-positive. But Bale, you know, he had three. He's a world-class player. He should be able to put it, you know, three to four feet minimum to either of the sides of a keeper. He always put him within his wingspan. Uh, I'm not going to say the goalie didn't, you know, do his job and stood his ground and and had good reflexes, but um, we need to do better uh, in terms of just keeping it away from the keeper when you're within the six-yard box. Yeah, I mean, Bale had the one that beat the keeper but ended up getting cleared off the line because it was a shot without much power and right on the deck. And, you know, he can clearly see the player coming in. He played it right into his path. I mean, I would expect a player of his caliber to be able to get that in towards the side netting off the ground. Just frustrating stuff. I mean, even early on in the game, there were opportunities. I know Arango scored the goal, but he had a few other opportunities that he fluffed. Vela had a wide open look that Arango stepped in front of him on. Mm -hmm. There was a few different times where the communication broke down and I get it. People are saying, oh, we have so many new players. The communication's broken. It's Vela and Arango. These aren't new players. These these are players that have been together for a long time. This was our strongest starting 11. I think if we all picked a starting 11, this is pretty much the starting 11 we would have picked. You can't point fingers at the midfield in this game. They did their job. But the the forwards, I I mean, it just was like stormtroopers out there missing left and right. I mean, Gareth Bale was looking more USL than he was looking ECL in this game. It was just... It was some shambolic stuff left and right. And, uh, you know, look, I at this point in the season, every team is going to play you like this is a cup final. I, I don't care if you're facing a San Jose or a Houston, two teams that we should absolutely clobber. But, I, I mean, two teams that are woefully low in the table. We're talking the bottom two teams in the table. And, you know, we can't muster a cohesive performance against them you know, fluffing our finishes the way we were tonight. It just, that was a rough watch. That was a rough watch. Um, Frustratingly officiated, but at the end of the day, we had so, so many opportunities and just blows my mind that none of those, none of those beat the keeper. Yeah, that ref was, I've never seen this ref. I don't know how he- It was his second game, his second game. Uh, He's called a, a bunch of games in New Zealand, but he's gearing up for the World Cup. And so they sent him over here to get some more reps, but- Look, he's not the VAR ref, right? The VAR ref was an MLS seasoned ref. It was Marufo, someone that we all despise. And clearly his bias showed in the VAR calls. I I just don't understand how neither of Houston's handballs were even worth taking a look at and how that one from Ilya Sanchez warrants itself as a handball. I mean, the hands are absolutely in a natural position. He retreats them. It's outside the box. It, It just, it was two seconds. They looked at it and it was just boom. Oh, penalty. Like, I blew my mind. And if you're going to call it one way, call it the other way. I I mean, 
at least call it consistently. If a ball hits a player's hands that are in against his body, I, I don't understand how that is a clear handball and a yellow card against Ilya in the first case. And it's not even worth looking at in the second case. It just, it's, it's inexcusable at this level of play to have this kind of inconsistency. Now, if they called it the same both ways, great, fine. All right. If it's a penalty, both times, whatever, If it's not a penalty, both times, whatever. But but to call it one way and not call it the other way just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And at this point, I am on Team Denholm with VAR. Get rid of it. Just get rid of it. You, you can't do it right. So just let it go. You're just making the whole thing worse. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to mention defensively, um, the second goal was really bad. It was like three players on LAFC saying, oh, lay. Well, I mean, the ones that could have affected the play. It was Denny Buanga, Kaelin Acosta, and I think it was Cheeky. The the other two center backs tried to come, but it was too late. The shot was already going off. So that's, that's too many players who didn't step up because they thought the next player were going to step up. And we saw something like that earlier with uh, Segura and Chiellini. So the, the communication is not there. And these are 90% of the players that have been playing with each other. So something is going on. But you have to say this is the 17th different defensive lineup LAFC has put out today. Right. I, I mean, so there's an argument to say that a lack of cohesion when you have your 17th different back line that that these players, I mean, the communication at that point, you would expect them to be able to figure this out on a training pitch. But it was I mean, the first one, absolutely. Houston should have scored on that one. Mm-hmm. But we got very lucky that that was cleared off the line. Max was beat. So, I mean, I think it was Escobar who came over and cleared it off the line. Fantastic stuff from him. Yeah, well, but, Mike's got a hand on it, too. He slowed it down. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, on the penalty, Max chose the right way, but, you know, his leap does not generate a lot of velocity. We've seen this on both goals. Um, You know, when he goes up for a top corner, he doesn't cover a whole lot of distance. And as great as he is at coming out and reading balls over the top and clearing his lines that way, as fantastic as he's been at other stuff throughout the course of his career, Max Kripo has made some stellar saves going up towards the corners. But so far this season, I haven't seen a whole lot of it from him. And when you guess right on that ball, it wasn't perfectly placed right against the post. I I thought he should have gotten to that, having guessed right and on the deck there. And and on that last goal, I I mean, it's it's just laughable. The five LAFC players that, you know, are just completely watching a player run right through him and put a shot off. But you know, again, Max doesn't get up to that corner with with any kind of reach. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised because that's something we've certainly seen from him against us in seasons past. But I don't think Max had a particularly phenomenal game today as well, too. I'm not saying he should have saved both of those, but I'm hard pressed to think that he's not got something going on physically where he's just not able to leap with the same force we've seen from him in seasons past. I will say this, though, right? LAFC has now lost three games in a row can't remember the last time LAFC has lost three matches in a row. Third and, time in LAFC history, they've lost three in a row. And on top of that, when you look at the last four matches that have been played, they have had only one goal scored in each match. It was the 1-0 win over DC United, a 1-2 loss in San Jose, a 1-4 loss in Austin, and a 1-2 loss tonight in Houston. So, I mean, they, they started off great with 4-1 win in Real Salt Lake and a 5-0 win in Charlotte, but over the last four matches, they have not been able to put it together. It's been It has been... 14 days they've had four matches in 14 days and they've only been in been able to put the ball in the back of the net four times one in each game and it's not for lack of chances yeah and i was gonna say the concerning thing is only one of these last four matches was a playoff team so 
it's it's not it's not good. It's not a good rut we're in. We're not losing to playoff bound teams. I'm not gonna say obviously the MLS is the most one of the most competitive leagues in the world because of the parity, but the showing isn't good. At least defensively, we should not be allowing multiple goals. You know, you talked about how you can't blame the tactics in this game. I think I was a little frustrated with our offensive tactics. We had something like 33, 34 crosses attempted in this game. That just does not seem like the most effective way for LAFC to get in and score a goal. We we don't really have much of a height advantage or a leaping advantage in our offensive prowess. Like I, I don't see that as being the most effective way for LAFC to break a team down and score goals. Those seemed like a lot of desperation, flinging the ball into the box and hoping something good would happen. You know, another thing that I, I'll actually, admit... I actually was, don't agree with that because we scored off of cross and we had like two off the line. So we should have we should have scored more. Um, Absolutely should have scored more. Yeah, I think the quality maybe we're, we're choosing it too often, but I think it is a threat for us this year. Yeah, and and look, Hollings said you know did a good job getting forward and trying to get his head on those balls, but uh, it just it, there were so many things about this game that frustrated me. I, I have to say, though it was marginally better in this game than we've seen over the course of this losing streak, Acosta's service from dead balls and corners still to me is nothing. Nothing like what we see from him for the U.S. men's national team. And I do not understand why he is so prolific at dropping in perfectly weighted balls for the U.S. men's national team. But then when it comes to LAFC, I mean, there were multiple corners tonight. I got text messages from multiple people complaining about Acosta's service tonight. And when finally... He put in a perfect ball over the top. People were so surprised that the ball came through. No one was able to even get a shot off on it, right? And it's like, if 90% of the time you can't put the service there, then the 10% of the time the service actually comes in, no one's expecting you to be able to do it. And both Bale and Sifu just watched that ball roll through and weren't able to get on it, which, again, I, I just find perplexing that Acosta is so, so gifted when it comes to his service for the men's national team, and yet it's been woefully inept throughout the course of this season for LAFC. And sure, tonight was better, but it was still not what I would consider up to his level. It was maybe MLS par tonight, and he's certainly a much better player than that. And I just don't understand why he is not delivering service that is far more effective. We even saw them attempt to take a short corner tonight where they played the quick ball to Vela, who tapped it back out to him top of the box. And then he skied it 20, 30 feet over the goal. Like they're even trying to come up with new ways for his service to be better. And it ended up being worse. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. He's got it in his locker. We know he has the ability, but why is it not at the same level for us? Yeah. Well, we got to look forward now at this point and get some home cooking. Cause that's, that's the only thing that's left. If, if we're not able to win this next match against RSL, then I think it's time to start kind of hitting the panic button. I'm not panicking yet because there's been a lot of changes. And the two games before this one, I think there there are some bigger reasons why we lost this one. I just don't understand because we had the better share of chances, more chances. We hit the bar, we hit the crossbar. We missed in every way possible and multiple goals got saved off the line. Even with all that, we still should have scored at least another goal to tie and get a point out of it. And that's what's disappointing about this one. Uh, six games left, three at home, three on the road. So now we're talking about we need points, right? Home versus RSL coming up this weekend. We absolutely need those points. Away to Dallas, 
I mean, so far our trips down to Texas have not been good. Maybe it's the heat, maybe it's the humidity, who knows? But I mean, I, I can't put a W clear as day on, on the schedule looking at that. You know, away to Minnesota, that yeah, is not, week. And, and that is not a place where we have performed particularly well as an away day. And then, oh, our final away day of the season is going up to Portland. I, I mean, these are three difficult away matches. We, we really needed points, San Jose and Houston, in order to build that buffer back out. And now, by the end of the night, I believe Philadelphia will be tied with us, although we still have a game in hand against them. But it's not good, and it's not looking great for Supporter Shield. And it's certainly not looking like a team that we can trust going into the playoffs. I will agree Danny Bowanga looked good tonight. The defensive laps on the second goal where I felt he had plenty of opportunity to get the tackle in there was frustrating. But I think he also saw two center backs in front of him and thought, let's not risk the yellow reaching in from behind and give him the set piece. Let's let our center backs step up and do it. And neither of our center backs stepped up to do anything about it. So I don't know how much of that I can put on Denny Buanga. But I mean, I think already he's shown me an ability to get down to the line and create corners, something that Raito would have just taken on the player and, and you know, 80% of the time dribbled up the turnover. Right, right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what we saw from Denny Buanga, but it, it was too little too late. And even, you know, the 15 minutes of stoppage time that we got wasn't enough for us to find the back of the net. And it's just disappointing to see LAFC dominate the offensive possession prowess and opportunities and, and give up two so cheap goals the way we did. Yeah. Looking um, forward to Mendes needs to step up, right? Kalen got a sec, uh, a yellow, the fifth yellow. So it's going to be an interesting home match. So yeah, well, we'll see. Let's uh, let's just, you know, does there any other final thoughts on this before we uh, move on to our interview? I, one thought with Acosta being out on yellow card accumulation, is there anywhere in the back of your mind that says don't play Mendez or Blessing, move Vela back into an advanced midfield position now that you have Denny Bawanga, Chicho Arango, Gareth Bale, Quadwo, Mahalo, Poku to play up top? Because Vela's been playing a lot of that 10-like role. Do you see any idea? I mean, as poor as our midfield has looked when any of our starting three has been out, do you play three at the back? Do you play a 3-5-3? Three, do you change any of that or do you put Mendez and Blessing in? I just don't think this is a time for more experiments, right? Like, I, I think that we should just go with a, tr- a traditional formation with a regular substitute and just call it good. I'd say if you want to put Vela in that advanced midfield position or like a 10 position, you play a 4-2-3-1. So there's some cover behind him because that'll be a defensive liability. So a double pivot, put Vela as the advanced midfielder. You put Sifu maybe off to the right, and then it'd be like Cheeky still playing left back. And I, who else can we put there? I guess you could put Blessing as another midfielder. So um, it, I, I don't think so. It, it's not going to work unless unless we play with a double pivot with Vela playing advanced. Um, and then it'd probably be Chicho up top and Denny on the left. And Bale, I still want him off the bench. I don't think he's ready yet to, to come off from the beginning. Well, I've been begging for this team to play a 4-2-3-1 for years. I think long abandoned the hope of that happening. I just, you know, you're getting my hopes up by saying it. I would love to see it happen. I certainly think we have the personnel that fits a 4-2-3-1 far more than we have the personnel that fits a 4-3-3 right now. But yeah, I, I mean, 
I, I've given up and any hope on that one. The candle has long since burned itself out uh, for any prayer of that that coming true. But that would that was my last thought on this game. But uh, unless you boys have anything else, I'm perfectly ready to move on, folks. We will be right back after the short break with today's guest. Hey, this is Travis Helwig from Crooked Media, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us as our guest this week is Dan Smith, the owner of Captured Tattoo. You know him from seasons three and four of LA Inc. Please give him a follow at Dan Smithism or his business Captured Tattoo at Captured Tattoo. Dan, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Thanks for having me. Very professional uh, introduction. I appreciate it. Jonathan has a uh, golden voice. Very direct. That's yeah. what Jonathan does. That's that's why we brought him in. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. For those of you that don't necessarily know, Dan is definitely a, a prominent member in the LAFC community. And if anybody wants to get any tattoo work, by all means, go ahead and book an appointment. And if you ever happen to find little itty bitty pins placed around the stadium, you might know why. And we'll definitely get into talking about those pins later in the episode. But, you know, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? We know that you were born in England and you grew up in New Zealand. And what was that like for you? Yeah. So I was I was born in a, a town called Middlesbrough in uh, the northeast of England. Pretty hardworking town, you know, kind of known for its steel, steel work, much like a Detroit or like a, you know, a Michigan sort of like town. My parents basically decided to, to emigrate to New Zealand when I was six. So that was 87. So I'm aging myself. But um, yeah, things were just going going downhill, you know what I mean? So they wanted a better life for, for me and my sister. And uh, we ended up moving to New Zealand when I was seven. And I basically lived in New Zealand from the age of seven to like 21. And then uh, music became pretty serious for me at that point. And there were some doors being opened that I couldn't really uh, not kind of run through, you know what I mean? So I ended up moving from New Zealand to Australia. I lived in Australia for about three years. And uh, joined a band there that ended up kind of doing a lot of touring around the world. And uh, in 2004, we got a, a record deal over here. So we kind of uh, sold everything we had and moved here with a suitcase with, you know, the, the cheesy like uh, dream, you know, the American dream. And uh, we did it. You know, we moved over here and uh, it was a whole different world. You know, it was kind of an innocently uh, naive decision. But um, thankfully, I had tattooing as well as music. So I had a couple, you know, pretty motivating sort of like things I was into. And um, from a lot of my traveling and stuff, I, I'd met some like really, really great people who were super welcoming, you know, a, an amazing community in the LA and Orange County area. So, uh, you know, they made it a lot easier for us. And um, yeah, what, like nearly 19 years later, I'm here, you know, I'm, I haven't gone back. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a weird uh, history of like, English and New Zealand, uh, you know, sprinkle of Australia and then been here for this long. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting mix. So growing up in Middlesbrough, you a fan of the borough? No, come on, those oh, reds. Of course. I mean, you know, when you're born into it, there's no real, you don't really have an option. You know what I mean? That's just what happens. So uh, it wasn't like I could pick the flashiest team or anything like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, my, uh, my dad, my auntie had season tickets since they were kids. The last memory, I mean, I was only six, you know, nearly seven when I left Middlesbrough. So the last memory that I really had was going to a game. And, you know, yeah, you you, you support your team through thick and thin, right? So that's that's how it's been ever since. But, you know, since moving to L.A., being able to go to especially LAFC games, it's been a really nice sort of taste of home. You know, it's it's a new community that is obviously thriving and, and there's so many amazing parts to it that, 
you know, I, I love that I sort of have that side of me here in LA. Have you been back to Riverside Stadium to catch a game as an adult? Do you ever go back there and catch a Burrow game? I haven't. The last time I was there, I, I was actually on tour with my band. So, you know, the, the good and, and bad thing about touring is like you can go to a place that maybe you'll never want to go to again. And but, you you know, you can figure out a place whether you want to go back or not. Right. So being born there, but having like left it definitely brought up a whole bunch of like pretty crazy feelings, but the whole touring thing was like you're in and you're out. And sometimes you don't get the chance to really like stick around or, or do anything like that. So, you know, I only have like one one family member there now. So I think now that it's all kind of opening up after, the, you know, the pandemic and COVID and stuff, like I, I definitely need to get back there and spend a little more time. But all my family are from sort of, you know, pretty spread out, you know, Nottingham, Newcastle. So obviously, you know, strong, strong football teams all around. My mom's a huge Newcastle fan, but I think being born in Middlesbrough, you know, that's where my loyalty is. So so uh, where were you living in New Zealand? Did your passion for soccer continue while you were there? Or did you transfer over to uh, being a rugby fan or a cricket fan? Ooh, it's hard to be a cricket fan. No, uh, yeah, I mean, New Zealand, despite being a little island at the bottom of the world, is, is you know, there are a lot of similarities between there and, and England, you know, probably due to the Commonwealth Association, you know, but New Zealand and Australia definitely have a lot of similarities. So yeah, I played since I was four years old, five years old. So when we moved to New Zealand, I just signed up for the local team. My dad was my coach, you know, and I pretty much played until I left. So yeah, football was a, a huge part of my life. It, it still is. So yeah, it's it's one of those things I, I uh, you can't, you, you love it, but you can never leave it. You know what I mean? It's It's part of me. So even traveling back to England, every time I go back to work or whatever, I'll go to London and I stay with uh, my good friend, Lal Hardy, who's like a long time, long term, like Tottenham fan. And we go check out those games there, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things, though. You know what I mean? You mentioned that your music took you around the world, but it sounds like your art, your tattoo art kind of sprouted some roots in the LA area. Can you tell us about that? And eventually it sounded like you you ended up working with Kat Von D and how did that happen? So again, it was going back to touring with music. I looked at music as as my first sort of, not my first passion, but the, the vehicle that was, you know, thankfully was able to kind of take me around the world. I had tattooing as well. And, and, and through that, was able to meet a whole bunch of really great tattooers and accomplished tattooers that some that I even looked up to before I even started tattooing back in, in New Zealand, you know what I mean? So it's really crazy when you live so far away and you grow up in the bottom of the world and it seems like everything you sort of look towards was pretty much America, you know, whether it was, you know, tattooing or art or music or skateboarding or you name it. So, um, you know, to come from one of the most like beautiful countries, most people would consider in, in the world. When I was growing up, I didn't, you know what I mean? You don't appreciate it. And, and all I wanted to do was go where Gleam in the Cube was filmed, or I wanted to go and, and see all these bands that previously I just could look at the flyers. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy, like moving here and knowing certain venues around LA. And then all of a sudden you're standing like outside of it, you know, outside the front door going like, wow, like I'm I'm actually here. So, so yeah, the, the music and tattooing community is 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 close in certain, you know, in certain areas so as soon as i kind of met a few people they you know the doors started opening again you know which i'm super thankful for and uh one friend of mine jim minor he played in a band called death by stereo he was just like man if if you ever think about moving here i, I 
I just want to let you know, I'll make sure that you have a chair in any shop that I'm in, you know? And back then, I mean, I was just young and just hungry for it. And that was all the motivation I kind of needed. You know what I mean? If, if the door just opened a little bit, I would like push through it, you know? And, and to me, that was everything. So once the band got some opportunities to, to actually be here, I knew that if everything fell apart with music, I could always rely on tattooing and, you know, um, tattooing got me and everybody else through some really, really tough realities of moving to a, a huge country and not really knowing what you're going to be doing tomorrow, let alone, you know, in a year or whatever, you know? So we had these, these visas, these entertainment visas that we were lucky to get. And, uh, it was pretty manic, you know, but, uh, I wouldn't change, you know, I wouldn't change any of that for the, you know, for anything really. You know, it's amazing. You'd mentioned earlier about, you know, coming here and living the American dream and, you know, you land in Los Angeles and then, man, you're on a reality TV show, right? Of season three and four of LA Inc. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, tell us what that was like for, you know, being in and around the reality TV industry and having the cameras in there. And, you know, I'm sure that was a little bit different than what it would be like tattooing in a normal traditional shop where it's just your privacy and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I came up sort of in the old way of tattooing, you know, which is at this point pretty long gone and forgotten about only the the stories kind of remain, you know, so Kat was one of the people that I met when I toured and I visited. And um, that was before she did Miami Inc. and, and stuff. So she went away and did that. And, it, you know, shortly after I moved over, she came back and she kind of said, hey, like, I'm going to do my own show. I really want you to work at the shop. So, um, you know, we were going through a little little bit of a weird time with the band and it was it was time for me to sort of really do something just for me. And it was perfect timing. So I, I went and worked in the shop. And then after a couple months, it was like, yeah, I think I want you to be on the TV show, you know, and that, that that was just like a crazy opportunity that when you're faced with something like that, you know, being on a TV show that's literally broadcast around the world, you kind of know that you can't say no to it, but everything from where I kind of came from and what I loved about tattooing was just like, you you can't possibly do this, you know what I mean? So it, it it was uh it was a huge experience. I always try to make the best of of any experience and I'm definitely a kind of guy to say yes and rather learn from a mistake rather than say no and be hesitant and then wonder like oh what if what if what if you know what I mean? So and again going back to where I'm from I figured if if I'm the one getting that opportunity I, I sort of have a bit of a responsibility to to say yes and just to try and go for gold, you know, and and, and do my best. And if, uh, you know, if I fall flat, then I fall flat. Like that's, that's life. Right. But, um, yeah, luckily it, it turned out pretty good. <laughs> so you grow up in New Zealand where tattoo culture dates back much, much longer than it does in many other parts of the world. The Maori yeah. people of New Zealand were known for doing tattoos hundreds of years before it was popularized in many other parts of the world. Yeah. You know, you travel around so much, you finally end up in Los Angeles. Uh, a quick perusal of some of the work that you've done, you see that it encompasses a lot of different styles and a lot of different work that you can do. But what would you describe as the influences on your own personal style? Is it, you know, a tie-in with your roots? Is it the music scene and the rock and roll scene? Where would you say that your style comes together from? It's a good question because I, you know, after doing the TV show, I, I kind of got labeled as like the traditional guy. And like, you know, I would say early on, I I, I really gravitated towards traditional and, and, and I do still do a lot of it. But to me, I've always loved a challenge and I've always loved being consumed by 
a culture or a history, especially where where you live, you know. And fine line black and gray, obviously in LA is, I mean, it's 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 the backbone of of LA tattooing, you know what I mean? So to me, that was always really intriguing. I've I've, I've always been totally enamored with the patience. I would imagine a lot of like the really accomplished black and gray artists have, and so. You know, I, I've given everything a go, you know, and, and and the way I came up in those old biker shops was that basically, you know, you 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 do everything. You don't let anything leave the shop. You, you never turn anything down. So I I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate the way I came up because I feel like it taught me a valuable lesson of, you know, step outside your, your comfort zone always. And, and good things only really happen when you do that. So as far as like what my style is now, I mean, honestly, I, I do, I literally do everything. I'm on a, on any given week, I'll do a bunch of traditional stuff. I'll do Japanese, I'll do lettering, I'll do some fine line stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I started doing these shoes a few years ago and those are a, a pretty, you know, strong staple in what I do most weeks now at this point too so i just love tattooing the shoes you mentioned have a tie-in with a local football club obviously uh, and then football has been part of your life along with music and tattooing um mm-hmm. t- tell us about who was one of the first people that maybe suggested that or is that something that came to mind obviously the you know casual culture is big in in, in england and some would say the adidas or some of these casual shoes are synonymous with football culture and that's kind of what la has been able to do, which I think you find affinity with part of this LAFC culture. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, the whole idea to do the shoes was a friend of mine, Toby Morse from from H2O and the One, One Chance podcast, who I actually just took to his first LAFC game last time, last match. He wanted uh, an MX1, you know, and the, like I said, there's been a couple artists that have really, really excelled in doing like kind of tiny stuff and really pushed, you know, pushed the boundaries. So it was me. It was just a friend asking, hey, you want to you want to try that on me? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I guess the, uh, you know, the glory of Instagram, whenever you post something, it's going to attract somewhat, atten- you know, some attention from people. And then uh, it just kind of encouraged other people to reach out. The ball started rolling and it was like, hey, what about a, you know, what about a Samba? What about a Chuck Taylor? What about a, a an authentic Vans? And then, you know, the, the super duper sneakerheads get all, you, you know, crazy about it. And then the people who have like, you know, ran their first marathons get crazy and want their track shoes. And then the guy who doesn't leave his house wants to get his slippers tattooed. And it's, it's been a real, a real trip, you know what I mean? To, to, to listen to all these requests from people who are super passionate just about their their shoes, you know. But I think, you know, coming from the place that I come from, like you said, you know, casual culture, football culture, there's like these staples that sort of make something what it is, you know what I mean? So any anytime I get asked to do anything related to that, it's 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 a treat. You know what I mean? So yeah. Let's focus in a little bit on LAFC, huh? Tell us a little bit about what your first time hearing about LAFC, your first exposure to it. That's usually a very interesting story for a lot of different people, whether they're from day one or they hear about it through word of mouth or what have you. So tell us about how you heard about LAFC and what your first impressions were. Well, I think, you know, being interested in football, especially here, when the club first started, it was sort of impossible to not 
hear about it. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, that year that the, the club started, my band was touring like more, you know, doing more touring than I than I sort of ever have. So I wasn't, I think I might've gone to the, to one game at the, at the very end of the first season. And I think I went with Brandon, uh, the drummer of Rancid, you know, he's, he's a big, you know, uh, Salt Lake fan. It was amazing because through music, again, you find these friends and people who are into the, the same kind of thing and not everybody is into soccer or football over here. So that, that in itself was kind of a special thing. And then, you know, the more time that I was sort of here and able to go to games, I just, you know, it was a crazy atmosphere. You know, the community of of anything is can be one of the most beautiful things of being a part of something, right? And LAFC just nailed it from the beginning in that sense, enough to where it was just a no-brainer. So anytime I went, it was it was the best time. And having that nostalgia of growing up in England and then, you know, playing in in, in New Zealand and stuff. But, you know, football is small in New Zealand. You know, it's probably smaller than here. So it's like it was just sort of this breath of fresh air of like, wow, now you can have a taste of home. Now you can be a part of something. Now you can be involved. And you, and what I love the most is now you can contribute, right? Because without the people who contribute to the community, it's not really a community. You know what I mean? So I've always thought whether it's punk rock, whether it's tattooing, whether it's football, you have to contribute else you're not really doing your part. You know, like life's not about take, take, take. It's about give, give, give. And then the things that you're able to receive from that, it's that much better, you know, because you've made a difference in somebody else's life as well. So, yeah, I basically have, you know, rescheduled appointments. I'm sorry to everyone who have done that to make matches. I've uh, I've changed stuff around. I've worked different days. I've you know what I mean? I've said no to different gigs and tours and stuff. <laughs> at this point, like I need to be at every match, you know what I mean? And, you know, do, doing the pin thing as well has been really, really cool to see grow and get, you know, it's got it's got some steam behind it now, which is really cool. And I've got people following me at the bank and I've got people, you know, just messaging me and, you know, some fans are manic trying to get all these pins and collect the whole set. And, uh, I think I've been doing it for about three seasons now. So I just feel like that's my little thing I can do to contribute. I see what it does to people and, and I know what it does for me. So well, you, you brought up the subject of the secret hidden pin. So mm. you want to kind of uh, tell us a little bit about what was the inspiration behind that? How does it work? And, uh, you know, kind of fill in some of the fans that might not know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, in the art world and tattoo world, it's 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 happened before. You know, I definitely have some people who, who you know, some friends who have kind of dabbled in that here and there, like a good friend, Kyle Crowell, it's a tattooer from here in Anaheim. He leaves a couple of pins at, or t-shirts or whatever at, uh, at Disneyland. And so, you know, thinking about contributing it towards LAFC, I was like, man, that, that would be super cool, especially knowing how important like pin culture is in, and scarf culture is in football, you know? Um, it seemed to be a no-brainer, so I, uh, you know, I basically just designed a whole bunch of little LAFC-related designs, some traditional, some a little more classic, sacred hearts, roses, swallows, you know, there's a take on the, the old Northern Soul pin, you know, and I just thought, why don't I just make a whole bunch? I think I make about 500 each season, and then I just pay for it all myself, and then I, I go to the game. I try to get there early. I battle the traffic up there, of course, like everybody does. And uh, yeah, the first the first match I was at, I was like, yeah, let's just let's just hide these under some seats or next to you know next to some stairs or next to trash cans or something, and post about them. And again, it's all social media, right? And it's it's about trying to you know invest in something that's bigger than you. 
you know? And um, as soon as I did it, people latched on and um, it's just been a beautiful thing to, to, to watch grow. It's definitely one of those things where, you know, I, I will, you know, I haven't been able to make as many matches this season as I would like. Right. And, and when I do go, I'm always checking your social media to see if you're there. And I have yet to still yeah. get one of those pins, but it, it is, it's, yeah. it's an exciting thing that it's just another uh, layer in this experience where you just look forward to those, uh, those events. Yeah. I've got, I've got to get creative, even more creative now, you know, like it's, it's pretty tough because especially since the the couple of new signings, it seems like the bank's gotten way, way busier and then and busier like earlier as well. So I'm trying to sneak in like, you know, 20 minutes before kickoff. And uh, I feel like there's always a lot of eyes on me. Like, what's this guy doing? And I'm like trying to, you know, hide a pin up on a, a, a railing or, you know, a fence or something. And sometimes, uh, you know, security will be like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and there's a bunch of cops around and there's, a, you know, there's people cleaning, you know. So one time I left a, a couple pins behind uh, some boxes and stuff. And then I walk away, I turn around and someone's like swept them up and they're, you, you know what I mean? Like they trash and I had to go over and like pick them out. Like, hey, they're not trash. Like I'm doing this thing. So, you know, it requires you to sort of explain yourself sometimes. But yeah, you know, the la- a couple games ago, there was a guy who posted like towards the end of the end of the game and he had like six of them, you know, like as if he would just was following me, you know what I mean? And I'm like, man, leave some for somebody else, dude. <laughs> so there is a little bit of, uh, you, know, you know, direction that kind of needs to go with it. But ultimately, it's just super fun. And, you know, a lot of people reach out to me. Well, you're definitely creating moments for, for other fans yeah. and your followers. But do you have a favorite yeah. match moment or a moment in general experience at the bank? that it stands out in your mind? That's a tough one. Cause honestly, like one, I don't think there's a bad seat in the house and two, you know, being able to kind of like luckily be able to start, you know, watch a game from the field and in the stands and stuff to me, it's all the same. You know, I, I don't, I don't prioritize it one over the other, but I think as far as the pin thing and, and, and a great moment was um, when I met Will Farrell and uh you know, I looked at his hat and he had like three of my pins on his hat. You know what I mean? That's dope. So I was just like, oh, okay. This is a little bit bigger than me just like goofing around with some pins. Like, you know, a, a lot of people seem to seem to pick up on it, you know? So now yeah, I wonder that, how that Will got cool. those, right? Because it's like, do you think Will was walking around like looking and, and following your Instagram and grabbing them? You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I wonder. Let's I, just, I, yeah, let's say he did. Let's say. Yeah. He did. Yeah. I, I want to believe that. Yeah. Will yeah. is a man of the people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm sure when he's wandering around, there's no crowd around him and yeah, he's just no able to look him. around and you know yeah. see a pin sitting there and no one's no one's gonna ask him what he's doing. Yeah. So you you mentioned, you know, you still tour with the band. Any chance Deer and Departed might show up at the bank? He give us a little concert, maybe a little halftime, maybe a little pregame, a little tailgate concert. Well, Deer and Departed was actually my my previous band. So for the last five years, I've been in sharp shock. So that's my that's my current band. And uh, we've been pretty quiet since the pandemic and stuff, but we just confirmed a show October 14th at the Terragram Ballroom in, in L.A. That's with the Sweet and Tender Hooligans, which is like a Smith's uh, Morrissey cover band, which is always a good time. So, yeah, Terragram Ballroom. October 14th, we'll be we'll be back on it. I love the Smiths and Morrissey. I'll have to yeah. try and find a way to get out there. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's going to be good. One thing I also wanted to talk to you about. So you had a collection, a a book, as it were, called You'll Never Walk Alone. And it was a a book that you had made that's for sale. 
that is a, a collection of uh, many of the shoes that you have tattooed on people. Tell us, you know, and, and in that book, there actually is some of the Adidas that that's from the culture, right? So how did you get the idea to to take uh, all a collection and put them in a book? I love the name. I'm a Liverpool supporter. So, you know, of course, I love the name of it. Well, um, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We can't all we can't all be Liverpool supporters because then there wouldn't be supporters for the other squads. Right. Uh, uh, but so tell us, you know, so tell us, how, how did you come up with the idea to put the collection together? What has been some of the people that have bought the book? What has been their liking to it? What, what's been the overall consensus of it? So, like I said before, like when, when you start sort of doing a certain style or or or, or you know, testing the waters with like something kind of like niche or like unique with something like that. Like I never, I never put too much thought into it. You know, like I said that I was always like really, you know, up for a challenge and really just kind of down to push my abilities and, and, and learn some new skills and stuff. So I didn't really have an idea when I started the shoes, like, oh, this is going to be a thing. And like, you know, I'm going to, you know, do a book or, or, or anything like that. So th the idea was sort of, I was approached, you know, um, by Beyond the Streets, which is kind of a legendary, you know, LA event that's happened a few times downtown. And, you know, Roger Gassman, who's super accomplished, done amazing stuff with graffiti, and he put on the Hello Kitty convention, and he's done documentaries on, you know, you name it, and and book, like, you know, countless books sort of approached me and was like, hey, man, do, do you have like, do you have a bunch of pictures of all these tattoos that you've done? Or do you have like line drawings and the stencil? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have I have everything because we always keep all that stuff. But again, there was never a plan. And so he's like, well, we, we got to do a book. Like how, how many have you done? And I've probably been doing them for about five or six years. And I was thinking like, man, I've probably done close to like 200 shoes. And then uh, one day I just did a huge deep dive on my phone which kind of drove me crazy, but I ended up getting, you know, close to 200 pictures of individual shoes. And, um, and he was like, cool, leave it to me. I'll, uh, you know, I'll send you something. And he had his whole team just kind of like lay it all out, created something amazing. You know, he's a pro, you know, so I, I was just honored, you know, for one, that someone like him was sort of taking notice of what I, I was doing. And two, that he kind of trusted that, you know, he would want to do a book with me. So. Um, yeah, man, I've I've got I've got him to thank, and uh, the end result was beautiful. Yeah, I feel like I tried to send them out to all the people that I would want to have one. And uh, Travis Barker just posted about it today. My friend, you know, you know, like I, I tattooed Travis a couple of years ago, and it's it's so cool when it's something physical. You know, like when you do a tattoo on someone, that's obviously physical, but that person leaves your shop and takes it away, and then they they carry on with their own life. But to see everyone's choice of shoe just page after page and it kind of connects with with all kinds of people you know what i mean like y your favorite shoe is going to be completely different you know to somebody else's so that's that's kind of what i love about it it's the diversity it's the the story of why someone would want to get one it's it's um you know the, the way they want it the, the year of the shoe the specific feelings that it kind of like conjures up in people and ultimately that's what a tattoo is kind of there to do, right? It's something you look down at forever and it makes you feel a certain way. And if I can be the one to help that and facilitate that, then 
I'm stoked. Being one of the most storied artists in Los Angeles in the world of tattooing and the thousands and thousands of tattoos I'm sure you've done throughout your career, is there one or two that stand out to you as like your favorite work? If the Smithsonian called tomorrow and said, look, we need three pieces for your wing of the Smithsonian, what pieces would you pick? Or are there ones that stand out to you over the course of time? Again, another crazy question, crazy in-depth question, in-depth, like, for, for me to answer, it would be really in-depth because it, it, it's based off those feelings, right? Like like I said before about not prioritizing. To me, it's the feeling of, of being able to do something for someone that makes them feel something, right? And it could be, you know, someone getting their father's name or father's signature when they, it was a little love note or, or, or a, you know what I mean? Like, if someone's passed away, or it could be, tattooing the side of Moby's neck where everyone who looks at it goes, Oh, that's crazy. And it's, it's for him, but he's on such a platform that like everybody sees it as well. So it's like every day or every week, it's kind of this like roller coaster of like, okay, I'm doing this tattoo that might mean literally nothing for this person, but it's a badass design and they've always wanted it in, in itself. That's amazing. You know, oh, I, I wanted a, a swallow on my hand because my, you know, my grandfather had one. And that's, wow, that's such a cool story. Then it goes to the opposite end of the scale, right? Where it's very, very meaningful. You know, I, I, um, you know, I had a, a, a young girl visit me and she was part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. You know what I mean? And she visited and she was having a really bad day. You know what I mean? And shortly after, like within a week, she didn't make it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I have to think about all that stuff and go, wow, man, like I'm just doing tattoos on people. You know what I mean? But it's really making a huge, huge difference, whether it's that guy or whether it's her, you know what I mean? So I just feel super lucky, you know, without getting too sort of mushy about it. I feel super lucky to be able to do what I do, have people recognize it, people that come from all backgrounds and, you know all corners of the world, really. It's it's super, super cool. Thank you for that. We have one final question. You've been very generous with your time this evening. We really appreciate it. But uh, before we send you on your way, shoulder to shoulder is the name of the show. It's a term that LAFC has certainly put on the neck of the kit. We've branded it with a certain identity in our community. But to every single person that comes on this show, they seem to find their own unique definition of that phrase. We're curious, Mr. Smith, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Shoulder to shoulder is basically the blueprint of what it should be about, right? It, should, it, it, it shouldn't ever be about disconnecting from anything. It should be about inclusion. You know what I mean? So shoulder to shoulder to me is, is basically the, the, the blueprint of how you should how you should move forward in life, how you should, how you should be welcoming, how you should open up. And like I said before, shoulder to shoulder means as someone's carrying you, you're carrying somebody else. You know what I mean? Which I think is, is equally as important when you invest in something, whether it's time, money, creative talent, voices, you know, whatever, everybody's there for the same reason, which 
is a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful answer. Once again, folks, our guest this week has been Dan Smith. He is the owner of Captured Tattoo. Please give him a follow at Dan Smithism. You will find some phenomenal art on there. Check out at Captured Tattoo as well, too. Please give them a follow. Uh, if you're looking to book, there's certainly options there to go ahead and book and get yourself your own LAFC Adidas tattoo, or or maybe you want the swallow on your hand. Uh, and uh, certainly bookings available. Dan, we'd like to thank you so much. Again, folks, the book out there is called You'll never walk alone i'm sure if you google that you'll be able to find an option to purchase it real easy dan thank you thank you so much for joining us as our guest this week we sincerely appreciate it folks we will be back right after this short break with today's opponent correspondent hey it's kevin frazier from entertainment tonight and listen i am an lafc super fan so i always make sure i download and listen to shoulder to shoulder podcasts they keep me updated but more importantly i get to listen to these dudes opinions about the team i love the most keep doing your thing guys folks joining us this week is our opponent correspondent making a triumphant return to shoulder to shoulder podcast none other than caleb turner covering real salt lake you can follow him at caleb turner 23 or check out his venue ksl.com sports or at kslcom sports caleb welcome back to shoulder to shoulder podcast yeah thank you for having me again uh i, I guess last time didn't go too poorly if uh, i got invited back so <laughs> Not for uh, you, maybe back. for our else, I'll take a little bit. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. I was going to bring that up. You know, I guess I, it, when your team beats ours 4-1, you know, why not have him back on, right? It was a good yeah. luck charm. Yeah, good fortune. Yeah, maybe we can uh, get Gareth Bale back into some form like he showed <laughs> yeah. versus you guys. That was really the last moment of brilliance we've had from him. Yeah. All right. So um, why don't we go ahead and, you know, many of our listeners may not be familiar with state of the club and how things are going on. So let's kind of put a bow on it for him. So you're currently sitting with 10 wins, nine ties and eight losses, sixth place in the Western Conference, sitting on 39 points, 27 matches played. Since we last spoke, you've had a win, two ties and a loss in August. So why don't you kind of catch us up on what's going on in the world of RSL? Yeah, it's kind of been tie city recently. Um, you know, a lot of... Uh kind of settling for, you know, the single point when I think they, they could have gone a little further and gotten those full three. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, you know, actually did drop from fifth to sixth, even though they're tied with Nashville on the tiebreaker. Tie uh, RSL goes down to sixth and Nashville has that fifth spot. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's interesting, right? I mean, they, they can't afford to get many more of these one point results um, with how tight things are in the West. Um, they're really fighting for every point to try and stay above that playoff line now, just, you know, a couple spots above it. Um, so yeah, we're also like, uh, did get one newcomer to the team, um, arriving after that summer transfer window, um, Costa Rican national player, national team player, Ryan Oviedo, um, most recently played in Copenhagen, but did have a brief stint with Everton as well. Um, left back and he, he made his debut. He arrived a week ago. Um, had his first training session last Thursday. Hopped on the flight, um, and and played with the team um, in on the in their game um, on Saturday. Made his debut towards the end, um, and certainly figures to uh, factor into the lineup again this week. Um, obviously, with it being a two-game week for RSL, um, they're you know needing more bodies, so I think their reinforcement came just at the right time. But as, uh, other than him, kind of business as usual. Guys, we've already been talking about. Um, Sergio Cordova did have a nice little run there as a striker, had three goals in three matches before this past week where he wasn't able to get one. Um, and then Je uh, Jefferson Saverino, um, consistently best playmaker, kind of playing in that number 10, 
ish position uh, up top, a little bit behind Cordova. Um, and, you know, always the, a, a favorite of the fans. Justin Miram has been hanging in there as well, um, doing his, uh, you know, whatever it is he does on the field. So yeah, he's, he's been sticking around. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's, I, I think it's ex- ex- an exciting time as the playoffs get closer. Um, and like I mentioned, Real Salt Lake really fighting for every point at this at this point in the season. Miram, he just finds those little pockets. He he's just like that old veteran at the YMCA in basketball that just knows exactly. what to do at the right time. Can't jump, can't run that fast, but he has this beautiful control. So, and, and he, he just... and he, he always finds a way to get a little bit of rest on the pitch too. Yeah, uh, he's usually, off to the side. Usually, through, usually through uh, falling onto the ground. But yes. <laughs> That's so funny. How about any updates? I know Krylak's been out, Bobby Wood. Any anything new in terms of them making a return anytime soon? Yeah, the update would be on Bobby Wood. Um, he was supposed to be um, joining training again this week um, to hopefully play in in one of the games this week. They weren't sure exactly which one yet. Um, Krylak's still out. No timetable on him yet, unfortunately. Um, but the one other addition that is actually uh, with the team, a former. Uh, player of yours, Danny Masovsky. Um, he began training fully with the team last week and actually will most likely ma- make his debut in LA. Uh, so that'll be, that'd be kind of fun for him. I think the return of the moose. Wow. That's yes. something we're definitely excited about here. And so outside of moose, what's your prediction for the starting 11 versus LAFC? Yeah, they, it's been pretty consistent over these last few, last few weeks, obviously factoring in that midweek game could, could change things a little bit. Um, but like I mentioned, it's been Saverino and Cordova up top. Um, and then behind them, you've got two um, kind of pivot slash defensive midfielders in Pablo Ruiz and Jasper Loffelsund. And then on the wings, Justin Miram, like I mentioned. And then typically it's been Michael Chang on the other wing uh, with the defense being uh, Aaron Brody and Aaron Herrera or sorry, Andrew Brody and Aaron Herrera on the wing on the wing back spots, defensive back spots. And uh, and then. Uh, Justin Glad and Marcelo Silva at the center back position with Zach McMath as a goalie. So that's that's pretty much been the consistent lineup since uh, late May, early June. Um, they haven't really varied from that too much since Saverino got back to the team. So expect something like that probably. Predictions in terms of the result? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember last time we played LAFC, um, there were the, the, the power rankings that came out after that um they rsl actually moved up a spot in the espn power rankings um and basically the the description said something like we all know a a game against lasc doesn't count against anybody (laughs) which obviously you know maybe things have changed a little bit for you guys since then with you know the loss to austin um and things like that maybe you know there is a sign of uh that you're not completely immortal or invulnerable to other teams in mls um so i'm curious what your guys thoughts are as well you know what would it take for a team like RSL to come in and maybe expose some of those uh, some of those weaknesses that have been uh, bared over these last few weeks? I think if you look at the success plan versus LAFC, it's been to clog up the midfield, right? In- inhibit passing out of the back that gets through the midfield, going directly from you know the back line to the forwards. 
And exactly the Austin method is to choke up the midfield, make them play side to side, cut down the lanes and, and really try and beat LAFC on a mistake. Right. And obviously we made a few massive mistakes versus Austin. You know, I guess the real question is, do you think RSL has the manpower to clog up the midfield and make that difficult for LAFC? And when the turnovers happen, do they have the attacking prowess to convert? Yeah, I I will say, you know, my thoughts on that immediately went to the counterattack has definitely improved. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been seeing a lot more long balls played, especially from guys like Saverino to quicker, more athletic guys like Sergio Cordova. There was a great play. Um, man, all the games all start to blend together after after, after a while. Um, but I believe it was against Seattle um, a couple weeks ago that Saverino played a fantastic long ball, uh, just kind of curled right into Cordova's path, and he was able to score a goal off of it. And then we saw another one from Loffelson, who's really come on. Um, he's, he's technically a rookie, even though he's, I think he's 24, 25 years old. Uh, first German player to ever play for RSL. Um, and he plays as kind of one of those central midfielder positions with Pablo Ruiz. Um, they're, they're both solid, you know, to, to go to the other point about clogging up the midfield. Um, neither one of them is, you know, a, a defensive stalwart, I would say. Um, but I think where, where the strength definitely does lie for RSL in the middle would be those two center backs, Justin Glad and Marcelo Silva. They've, they've been extremely solid all year. Um, so I think we would definitely count on them to hopefully be able to uh, make up for any of the misses that those midfielders might have uh, before things arrive at that back line. I think the two results, most recently, they were not favorable, obviously, were away, number one. And two, first one, it was Ilya being rested and he came in and got a red card. And then he was suspended for the next one. So I, I think him not being able to connect the dots is huge. Obviously, all teams try to clog up the middle. It's just he is kind of the one that unlocks it, number one. Number two, the positive side on these two matches, him not playing, is that he got rest. And we all know he kind of runs on fumes towards the rest of the season historically. So I think that's one positive thing. So LAFC at home, Ilya playing well, I think being motivated. Um, even against DC United, we didn't play well, but we pulled it out. Uh, I think uh, I feel positive about being able to get a good result and a win, although it won't be easy. I think we are in kind of a funky moment with a lot of matches in August and uh, a lot of ins and outs happening. Uh, I think there's there's a moment of stabilization that needs to happen over the next few weeks going into the playoffs. Yeah, and I just realized I never answered your question about the results. So I think, there, like I said, it's been Thai City. Um, I'm going to go with a tie. Let's go... Let's do a 2-2 tie. It's been a lot of 1-1 ties, so we'll go 2-2 tie in L.A. Um, yeah, hopefully we can help Gareth back, get back into some good form. Maybe he can get a goal there. Um, I was excited that he, that he did get that start. Um, I'm a huge Gareth Bale fan, so I was glad that he, you know, at least looks like he's, you know, ready to make a bigger impact. Um, whether that has actually happened on the field, I guess, is yet to be seen. Um, but, yeah, I'm certainly excited. I actually thought about maybe even, um, you know, booking a quick quick plane ticket down there. Um, to check out the game but unfortunately uh local circumstances had other plans i'm actually moving i'm in the in-between houses right now um so that did not uh, allow me to get away unfortunately for this labor day weekend well best of luck on the move hopefully you're in much more hospitable confines next time we speak uh before we send you out we got one final question for you we asked you last time but i'm just curious if the answer has changed a little bit what are your postseason predictions for rsl now still kind of clinging to that six spot in the table spot do you think they have a chance to hold on to one of the final few spots there and what would the likelihood then be of playing if you're in the sixth seed gosh let me think you would 
then play either three seed, I believe, at this point. So uh, it's much better than facing Austin. Of course, if you, you drop down a little bit, then you have the likelihood of playing an Austin FC. So who do you think, uh, what position do you think they're going to end in? And what do you think is going to be the result of that first round matchup? Yeah, you know, there's there's kind of this running joke that I've noticed as I've been reading some of the pieces on MLSsoccer.com. I believe it's mostly Matthew Doyle that has this joke that RSL, you know, just kind of chips away in the regular season, doesn't do super well, sneaks their way into the playoffs in a six or seven spot, and then somehow manages to upset a team like yours truly, uh, LAFC. In fact, I think he's named LAFC specifically several times in, in his pieces. Um, several times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I'm sure you guys are just ecstatic about, right? That you you know you build up this team so so high, only for to to come crashing down the playoffs, right? I, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think it'd be hilarious, and you know it's been talked about so many times that it's like, man, is it just just manifesting? Like, is this just bound to happen now? Um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think they definitely sneak into the playoffs, though. Um, I think they've from start to finish this season they've been um, fighting way too hard and, and just too solid, honestly, in a lot of performances not to make the playoffs um having made the run they did last year as well um into those western conference finals um and i think a lot of people would say you know maybe individually not as good you know you lose a guy like albert rusnak um but as a team definitely feels like a more complete unit and possibly improved as well um so yeah, i think i think they sneak in i'll say hey you know maybe even they get back get back into that fifth spot fifth or sixth maybe now whether they win a game i think it'll be close who knows you know maybe it could even go into penalties i know real salt like loves their uh their penalty shootouts in the playoffs so um i'm gonna go for uh first round goes into penalties and they end up moving on off of a weird penalty shootout <laughs> but then they lose in the second round who would have known rusnak and your former manager go to seattle and they can't make the playoffs potentially yeah crazy huh I'm not ready to rule Seattle out just like <laughs> no, no so I said is. potentially. That's why I said potentially. <laughs> They've proven to me that they know how to play well in August and September to ensure that they're playing in October. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, you never know. Stranger things have happened. It would be the end of a pretty historic run if Seattle were to not make the playoffs. But, uh, yeah. you know, in, in lines of extra time, I feel like they have a love-hate relationship with LAFC. They're either singing our praises and bowing to us heavily or, or showing us the cold shoulder. There's not really ever sort of any... <laughs> prudent in between from that show it's yeah. either like the world is on fire or you know they're anointing us the greatest team of all time doesn't right. really seem like there's ever any reality check in between for those guys right and i get it you know they're, they're trying to make headlines they're trying to get clicks and they're gonna have the most outlandish take they can ever have but uh, at the end of the day i think if we've learned anything about mls no one's really uh you know the king of the court and no one's really the joker either right on any given day anyone can win it's part of the parody that's built into the structure of this league and best of luck this weekend um you know yeah. if you do end up deciding to drop everything and come on out <laughs> give us a call otherwise uh, maybe we'll be talking to you in the playoffs my friend we shall see folks once again our opponent correspondent this week has been caleb turner please give him a follow at caleb turner 23 and check out his source ksl.com sports you can follow them at kslcom sports caleb thank you so much for joining us folks we're going to take a quick break and be right back with the final segment of today's show This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, gentlemen, we have been all prepared for our upcoming match versus RSL. It's time to go ahead and throw our predictions out there. Christian, we will start with you. What are you expecting from LAFC versus RSL? I think it's a 3-1 victory. I think it's going to be Vela, Arango, 
and Mapoko. And then was off to see him score one. LAFC is going to come back and, you know, this is going to be the start of the riding of the ship. It's going to be a victory. It's going to be a scrappy fight, though. Four to three. That's what I'm saying. Four to three. Wow. That is that is certainly a high scoring affair that you are predicting there, my friend. Four to three. I think I would be disappointed in an LAFC team that gave up three goals to RSL. Even if we ended up winning the match, I think that might be a little bit frustrating. That's uh it's a crazy goal prediction, but I love it. I love the audacity of it. Says the man who does 10 to zero. Only when we play Carson, right? And you know, just that's my heart. I, I don't think LAFC are gonna give up three goals at the bank. Uh, not to a team like RSL. Uh, I do have to agree with Christian on this one. I'm going to go three, one as well, too. I also believe that Danny Mozowski uh, will get the lone goal for RSL. However, on the LAFC side, I'm going to say one for Opoku and two for Arango. I think Vela is more of the facilitator. Now I haven't seen the shot from him too much this year, unless there's a penalty that he ends up taking, which I still think would go to Arango. I think this game ends three, one, a brace for Arango and a goal for Opoku. He's just on fire right now. You can't not play the kid. He's done so well. With that, folks, we really appreciate you listening to episode 133 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Please give us a follow at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, we love episodes when we get to talk to the fans. I think those are some of the best interviews we have. So please reach out to us. We'd love to get you on the show. We'd like to thank Dan Smith, legendary tattoo artist, for joining us as our guest. And we'd like to thank Caleb Turner for once again joining us as our opponent correspondent this week for RSL. Thank you very much, everybody. Take us home, Sticks. To shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. 